0: Hello and welcome to the Star Wars Countdown from Some Like It Scott. I'm Scott Harvey and I'm joined, as always, by my co hosts for this series, Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. Today we'll be taking a break from the Skywalker saga to discuss the first of the Star Wars anthology films, 2016's Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Directed by Gareth Edwards, Rogue One is set just days before the events of Episode episode 4, A New Hope, and follows Jen Erso, played by Felicity Jones the daughter of a kidna- of the kidnapped Imperial scientist Galen Urso, who has been helping the Empire build their new superweapon, the Death Star. When Jen discovers that her father has, unbeknownst to the Empire, included a fatal vulnerability in the Death Star, she joins up with a ragtag crew of rebels and sympathizers, including rebel pilot Cassian Andor, played by Diego Luna, his sassy droid K2SO, voiced by Alan Tudyk, blind warrior Chirrut Imwe, played by Donnie Yen, and an Imperial Defector, played by Riz Ahmed, to transmit the location of the vulnerability to the Alliance. Jay, we'll start with you. Did Rogue One's gritty tone and new cast of characters win you over, or is this a story that would have been better left untold?
1: I had fun with it, and I'm, I'm glad I saw it. It was very different, obviously, you know, from what we saw, but, you know, I i mean, there was a lot to keep track of, and, you know, you kind of mentioned the new cast, uh, new characters. They, you know, i I can keep up with all the ones you named and maybe a couple of others, but ultimately, I did find the story fun. It was really dark, um, not to state the obvious, but it was a good time. Scott, how about you?
2: Yeah, I no, I think it it was so refreshing in some way to be introduced to, to new characters. And it, you know, if we actually go and, and dig into your question about whether this, you know, was something worth seeing, et cetera, or was a story best left untold. I think that I I lean more towards the former. I I think that there are some things that I think this movie doesn't doesn't quite get right. But in terms of atmosphere, tone, you know, additive addition to the universe and and giving a little bit of background about, you know, the original Star Wars movie, I think that it it really does add a lot and and its cast of characters are memorable uh, for the most part in, in good ways. And I think that you know you, you mentioned Cassian Andor, who I'm a big fan of. Although I I was actually revisiting some of the reviews and some of the popular opinions and realizing that apparently Cassian's not as big as a fan favorite as, a, as at least he was for me. I really love Diego Luna's performance. Jay sucks. It's fine. Uh, and I did and not I, like
1: him that much. Yeah, that's too. fine. Well, you don't have to there. watch the
2: Disney Plus show that's coming out. And We can talk about it later. <laughs> um, no, I, I I really like Cassian. I mainly because I really love Diego Luna, probably, but. Uh, I love Diego Luna. I think that some of the supporting characters, especially, are really good. I, I maybe a little bit lukewarm on Jen herself, although I do think Felicity Jones does a really good job in her performance. But I think some of like the absolute standouts are really are really can be found in that in that supporting cast. Some of those people that you mentioned that I'll that I'll just save a little bit for later. But there's some real standouts there. I think the story itself. You know, the, overar- the the overarching nature of the story, like I mentioned, I think is additive in terms of the giving that context for that opening scene from from A New Hope. At the same time, I think some of the, some of the weakest parts of the movie is, is maybe the, the story just doesn't make very much sense. Uh, and maybe emphasizing something about the, and going back to something that in the original movie from A New Hope that also might have been one of the weaker parts of, of A New Hope itself. And that fatal flaw of the Death Star, someone just weaseling it in there and we figure out that that person is apparently Mads Mickelson uh, who who weasels it in there which it absolutely makes i mean it, i don't understand It doesn't make any sense to me that plot point but uh, we we can talk about that a little bit later on but overall i i did really enjoy this movie this is the first movie that that we've seen here on our on our countdown series so of course episode 7 the force awakens comes out before rogue one if you're watching them in order of release but this is the first one we've seen. And you can see, like, I mean, we I think we I talked about when we did our review a few weeks ago of episode five of, of Empire Strikes Back. That what would it be like if we saw ATATs, you know, in modern graphics? And you saw them, and they're amazing. Oh, they yeah. look absolutely incredible. Some of those scenes with the modern graphics and the visuals there are breathtaking. They really make i mean, they make your mouth water. They're absolutely incredible visuals. And so I think there's a lot, a lot to love about this movie. Uh, it ultimately wasn't necessary maybe not, especially in the context of the fact that you have episode seven coming out the year before and episode eight coming out the year after it in terms of chronological chronological release, but it's still a great time. And I still think it's, it's one of the better star Wars movies overall.
0: Yeah. uh, I mean, I liked this movie when it first came out, but upon rewatching it, I think this is one of my favorite star Wars movies. Uh, This movie is awesome. I love the dark, gritty tone of it. I love the fact that this is like a legitimate war movie, right? Like this puts the wars in star Wars, um, especially in that final act when, uh, it's basically just a long drawn out battle scene, um, in which they're trying to transmit the uh, the schematics for the Death Star to the Alliance, obviously setting up the events of of a new hope, as you all have mentioned.
2: Um, but yeah, the think- closest comparison is is the last 45 minutes of Attack of the Clones, but you don't really get it from the soldier perspective. And mm-hmm. I think that's what you're referencing here. The fact that no one in, in the main cast is a Jedi has a lightsaber makes a huge difference uh, in, in the feel of it. And I, I think that's a really great point.
0: Yeah, but I love the first half of the movie too, as well with all of these characters coming together. It, it 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 gave me some serious Mass Effect vibes. The way that you have all these characters from like very disparate backgrounds coming together um, and forming, you know, a squad with this one mission in mind, that being uh, eventually to again transmit the schematics for the Death Star. Um, and I, I, you know, I love the the quirkiness of some of these characters. Obviously, despite it being dark, you still get some humor in there through the. The K-2SO character primarily, uh, you get sort of the like spiritual wisdom of uh, someone like Cheiridimway, and then you get like the roguish Han Solo type character um, with uh, with Cassian Andor, and also I think at the heart you get a, a really excellent uh, character in Jen Urso, who I think follows in line with you know what we see what we're going to see in the sequel trilogy of uh, a strong female heroine really anchoring, uh, the movie. Um, again, we're going to see that in the, in the sequel trilogy with Ray. Uh, but I think that that's true here. I think she gets some of the best moments in the movie and I think Felicity Jones is fantastic actress. Um, so yeah, I, I love Rogue One. I think, again, I love the fact that it's a war movie and all, all, it has all of the trappings of war movies, not just those battle scenes, but sort of the really epic lines, you know, like, um, you would get in like a Braveheart type style movie, you know. You have like the epic speeches and stuff like that. I think there are several moments where I was like, "Oh, that's good." And not to mention, you know, the some of the shots, particularly in that final battle scene, when when Cassian and Jen just get enveloped at the end by the explosion—that's pretty awesome. Um, and so I I think that this is a fantastic movie, and honestly, I, I can't I, I can't wait to revisit it again because, like I said, I think it has it has catapulted up. More than any of the other movies that we talked about so far, this movie has catapulted up on my list um, of favorite Star Wars movies. So glad we got the opportunity to revisit it. But with that, why don't we uh, turn? You know, go into some of the performances. I talked about a lot of the the cast up front, but obviously, haven't even mentioned some of the other great names in this movie. Scott, you talked about Mads Mickelson, Forrest Whitaker shows up as Saul Guerrera. Uh We have Ben Mendelsohn playing director Krennic. Um, and you know, in addition to to all of the great cast members uh, that I mentioned, James Earl Jones coming back as Darth Vader for a couple scenes. Um, who stood out to you in this, you know, brand new cast of characters uh, and actors? You know, as, aside from Darth Vader and uh, and Mon Mothma, I guess, and Bail Organa. I'll
1: go first. Um, yeah, Jay. Sorry, I cannot believe you, after all the names you've dropped, you haven't mentioned Bayes Malbus even once. Yes, that is true. How dare you? Um, <laughs> No, uh, I really liked him. Um, I really liked K2SO, and as I kind of mentioned, uh, you know, earlier, I wasn't actually a huge fan of Cassian Andor, and I honestly wasn't that big of a fan of Jin Urso either, which is maybe a little bit confusing, given I said I liked this movie. And I mean, I'll go back to you know the points you were making about. I really like the story. I really like the tone, and to me, like it really is the the ensemble that you know makes it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm not giving standout performances to either of the two leading characters. It was nice to see Vader back, and I, I, I had no idea that was going to happen. I do think this is the first movie we haven't heard or seen the Emperor in any capacity, which was different. Um, but I mean, I don't know if that's part of what they were going for with you know making this kind of different, right?
2: I mean, you don't see him in A New Hope, but it's okay.
1: Touche.
0: Is it so? Is there something about the performances of, of Felicity Jones or Diego Luna that you didn't like, or did you just not c- connect with the characters?
1: Maybe I just didn't connect. I don't know. I it just <laughs> kind of fell flat to me, um, a little bit like I like I understand like why it was good, you know, and I, I just I almost wish there were different people delivering the same performances. I, I couldn't tell you why.
2: You, you also um, don't have to think that they were good, you, you don't have to. No, no,
1: agree no, and I'm I, I'm I'm saying that explicitly, like you know, I, I think. I'm not even blaming like on the script. I something about it just you know kind of didn't land that well with me.
0: Scott, would you care to offer a counterpoint?
2: (laughs) Well, yeah. So again, like I, I think in some ways I can see where Jay is coming from in terms of maybe not necessarily connecting or 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 liking the characters of you know Jin and Cassian that much. I personally feel like I lie somewhere in the middle between the two of you, where I think the characters are mostly fine. I think Cassian. I think the the mystique of Cassian is what is more interesting about his character, not necessarily everything that, that happens on screen, but I do think the performances are really strong. I think that Felicity Jones, even though you know, she plays a character here with Jen that maybe I can only identify with so much and connect with so much, but I do feel strongly about her performance. I feel like the character that she's been given to, you know, wear the skin of to adopt. Uh, she really does live in well and, and, and really play that out well on screen. And, you know, Someone who has essentially kind of been this, you know, not, abandoned is not the right word, but was picked up by Saw Gerrera, by Forrest Whitaker's character from the beginning of the movie. And in some ways was like not probably looked out for that well. And that's ultimately, you know, that essentially, uh, especially as someone who was the daughter of someone who was known to be, you know, building a massive super weapon for the empire uh, or maybe not super, maybe they didn't know it was a super weapon at the time, but they knew it was something, right? He was, he was a, a, you know, researcher and developer for, for the, for the empire. And so having, being an outcast in a group of outcasts, uh, it, I think you can see that and how that's affected her leading into where we get in the movie, especially with the fact that we know that she was abandoned by that group of people. Ultimately, not, not only did she not fit in with the people who are part of that group, but she was then abandoned by her father figure in Saul Guerrero as well after being of course abandoned by Mads her actual father mads Mickelson, although a little bit less a little bit less willingly i'd say and that yeah answer, i'm so, not, oh, sorry no go ahead i'll i'm I was about to switch over to casting anyway so go ahead
1: i was going to say and i want to touch on that piece about saul guerrero for a bit because although you know he's great to me and i think this is part of why i didn't really you know feel super strongly about Jin was, sure. you know, in that scene uh, where they, you know, they meet again and, you know, she's, you know, getting mad at him for having abandoned her. And he's, mm-hmm. you know, thinks that she's there to betray him. Like, because that just felt really rushed to me. Like we, I mean, and I get that, you know, the movie is two ish hours. Like you can't shoehorn everything in. But to me, you know, I feel like if I had gotten a little bit more of them, this confrontation might have meant more to me. It kind of felt like I was just thrust in the middle of it.
2: Yeah. I think, I think that's fair enough. I mean, my, my problem is I wouldn't necessarily want that because I think force Whitaker is atrocious in this movie. Like I think, oh. yeah, I think he's really bad. I think Saw is a terrible character. Um, personally, like, I don't think far, that
0: they, they, uh, do, they certainly don't do enough with this character and there were some possibilities there that they could have explored that they don't explore, but I wouldn't go as far to say atrocious.
2: I think it's the worst, one of the worst performances we've seen in, in the star in the series so far. Um, Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, I, I'm We're somewhere in the word. middle. I'm
1: just surprised that you're. Hey, we somewhere in the middle of you two, and I didn't really like him, but I'm really surprised you think it was that bad.
2: I'm not saying. Look, he's not as bad as Hayden Christensen. I'm not saying that. I'm saying he's the one who of the worst.
0: Boss Nash with like a word.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I and maybe it was just this character, and I, I I don't remember disliking him as much, in you know the first couple times I saw this movie, but revisiting it now, like it was painful. This character was painful to me, uh, Saw Gerrera, and I was happy that he didn't get to be in the whole movie <laughs> based on the plot. Um, but no, I, I, think I don't want to dwell on that too long. Cause I don't think it's a, I don't think it's that big of a detractor from the film overall, but I do like Cassian. I like Diego Luna as well. Like I mentioned in some ways, you know, maybe this character has done a bit of a disservice because he is a, a Han Solo, um, you know, car, not a carbon copy, so to speak, but someone in the image of Han Solo, uh, someone who is, Maybe a little bit grittier, a little bit darker than Han Solo, because I think we talked throughout kind of the the original trilogy about how Han kind of toes this line of of being a hero versus being an antihero. And I think ca- the simple truth to Cassian is that he is an antihero. He talks, you know, you learn about all these bad things that he's done. And I think that makes him interesting in that way. And it makes that character interesting, which is why I'm talking about the mystique of his character, the things that he refers to doing, the things that potentially could be you know, explored in that Disney plus series, if they go that direction uh, and make it a little bit darker. And it seems at least the same tone of what we think we're getting with the Mandalorian. uh, I think that that could be something really good there. And I think the lore around that character was super interesting. I think Diego Luna played it well, like, like, uh, like Felicity Jones did with Jen Ursa. And so I was a big fan of of Cassian. He's one of my favorites, but if we're talking about real standout favorites and, you know, I'll, I'll reveal later on who my MVP is, but I mentioned the supporting cast is outstanding. I think with the ex- for me with the exception of Forrest Whitaker, I think almost everyone in the supporting cast is awesome. Alan Tudyk to me is just like having the time of his life, play, you know, voicing voicing K2SO. I think that Donnie Yen, who has he even done another movie, I don't even know, but he's amazing as Chiro, and I just think he's absolutely fantastic. Riz Ahmed, I mean, I should tell you left. I didn't even reckon- I didn't realize until this rewatch that that was Riz Ahmed. Uh, so I don't know what that necessarily says about the character, but you know, maybe not the, the most standout, but he really immerses himself in that role and, and he just becomes that character on the screen. I think that that, that says something and probably says that I should be able to recognize actors that I like better, uh, in movies when I watch them, but I don't know. I don't actually, don't know if I'd seen the night of when I saw. But in, in 2016, I can't remember if I'd seen it by then or not. But anyway, uh, yeah, the supporting cast here, you know, almost from from top to bottom. Besides what we're talking, besides Sagrera, I think it, is where the standout the standout performances lie. Not because the acting is necessarily better, but the combination of the acting and the characters themselves, I think, is a, is a perfect mix and and really elevates a couple of those characters in particular.
0: Yeah, I think that the self contained. Time-sensitive nature of this movie does affect maybe some of what you're talking about, Jay, with these, particularly with the Cassian and Jen characters because they don't like these characters don't have a gimmick, right? Like, a gimmick is perhaps not the right word uh, b- because I don't think that the char- the characters like Chirrut or K two S O or something are are bad or or kitschy in any way, but they are. It's easier to establish these characters in a small time period because you know. K two S O. He's the funny droid, right? Or Chewy? He's like the blind philosopher warrior guy. Uh, like they they can be easily described in like a one sentence little uh, description of the character. And I think that's not necessarily the case with Jen uh, or with Cassian. Um, and, and you know, it also matters that they die in the end so uh they have to set up these characters you know all of these characters again there's so many characters have to set up all of them in this two hour time period only for the large majority of them to die in the end of the movie and of course that has to happen for the story to go forward Um but with that in mind i think they did you know about as good as a a job as can be expected with you know a couple caveats saw guerrero being one i also agree that i think Bodhi, which is Riz Ahmed's character, you know, he he's there but uh, he didn't add a whole lot to the proceedings for me. Yeah, Obviously man, he good. does play an important role in the mission, but um but as far as like Jen goes, I really like this character and i think that it fits along with the model of star wars heroes like the 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 role that destiny and like prophecy plays is obviously like huge throughout the star wars saga throughout the movies that we've watched so far and i think that falls right in line with with jen scott as you pointed out someone who's been abandoned her whole life um and then discovers this video like for her specifically that um you know Outlines this mission that, you know, she has to fulfill um, and is kind of forced to step into this leadership role that she's never been able to um, take up before. But which uh, is her destiny. Right. Like you can clearly see that uh, she's meant to be this type of leader um, as the movie goes on. And, you know, some of those scenes like in the I don't even know what the room's called, but in like the decision room or whatever, where everybody is in the um, war room. Right. And everyone's all down to their luck and she has to, you know, pump them up and tell them that that says that great line about how rebellions are built on hope um, really like comes into her own um, as a leader and as a person who is going to, you know, ultimately go down with the ship um, in order to, you know, save the alliance. Uh, and I think that Felicity Jones is, has a strong, strong personality throughout uh, and I think really suits this character well. So I really enjoyed it. Cassian, yeah, I, I I kind of agree with uh, with Scott. I guess he I like the the roguish nature of the character, even if it doesn't come off as as you know immediately compelling or charismatic as Harrison Ford does as Han Solo. I mean, that's a high bar to match. Uh, but I'm still looking forward to the Disney Plus series to learn more about this character because he gets some good moments too. I, talking about great lines, I love when he says, "Let's make ten men feel like a hundred um another one of those great like inspirational lines there towards the end of the movie um and i think that diego luna delivers it well rest of the cast i, I echo what has been said uh, about them for the most part i really like what alan tudyk brings to the voice of k2so because you know we've seen the funny droid character in all of the other movies with c-3po but this is a totally different type of uh droid and totally different type of humor um he's so much more self-aware than c-3po um and has a lot of fun here, as you said, Scott, just kind of roasting everyone in the movie. Um, one of my favorite lines is when he says, uh, there's a problem on the horizon. There's no horizon. Um, and and there are, there are many others as well. His sort of... Uh, playfully adversarial relationship with Jen, I think gets, there's a lot of comedy that comes out of that. So really yeah, and enjoyed. And Cassian
2: doesn't ever want to hear the odds from him. Not unlike Han.
0: Yes. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of those moments in the movie where it's like, you know, some kind of kitschy nostalgia moments that maybe we'll talk about in a second. But uh yeah, that's certainly one of them Uh guys. Why don't we talk about the action now? Because um, there is a lot of it in this movie. Like I said, the last hour of the movie or you know 45 minutes or so is basically one big battle sequence um is there anything in particular that stood out for you from that sequence or did you find it generally satisfying
1: well scott already mentioned uh seeing the ATAT, you know in more modern graphics i mean that was amazing and generally you know i i think that's, you know, that's kind of how i feel about it in that you know everything we saw remembering this takes place before a new hope but seeing it you know just so much more like, you know, action packed, even if it is just, you know, oh, there are more lasers going about and more ships in the air. Like it all just felt, you know, more intense because of everything that was going on. Um, you know, the initial explosion that sets off the you know, sequence of like final events on Scarif, like even that, you know, just all of it just, you know, looked so much better. And I mean, that, you know, just made it fun to watch, to put it simply.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, I like, like Jay mentioned, I already have reference the ATATs and you know to your point Scott the the, when it really sinks into being a war movie in the last 30 45 minutes whatever whatever it might be when they are finally on Scarif and they are they know that they know they're dying on that hill when the gate closes behind them when that you know when the when the force field is shut behind them and so just doing whatever they can to transmit uh, that well first get the data and then transmit it with the message and I think that every, everything that happens after that starts is you know is t- is a top tier war movie and so if you're if you're talking about action there are a few moments of course before that you know climactic uh, series of scenes towards the end of the movie which are also good like I think some of the some of the stuff on Adu which is where Mads Mikkelsen is and 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 has his un- untimely death I think that that planet has a good atmosphere there and if the action itself maybe isn't that compelling, I think that some of the visuals and the, and the gra and like the scenes and the shots of particularly the X-wings flying, you know, low through, through the, the rain and the, and the fog and the mist there is just like gorgeous cinematography. Uh, if it's even, if it even can be called cinematography, it's probably all visual effects anyway. Um, I think that, no, it just, it just looks incredible. And, and then that final scene, when you have them on, on the beaches in Scarif, you know, standing their ground kind of, Pushing the offensive at first, and then being pushed back once you realize the full garrison on Scarif is being deployed with all of their weapons and artillery. I think that it's really compelling. It's some really compelling war scenes, and and absolutely, Scott, not something that that we've seen in any other Star Wars movie. And and because of that perspective, right? Like you are not Yoda, Obi Wan, and Anakin flying through Geonosis in Attack of the Clones. You you are uh, Chiru. You are you are, um, I forget his his partner's name there, but yes, Baze, you you know, you're not, uh, you are all those characters, right? Fighting on the ground, you are casting your Jen, um, your K2. And I think that that perspective makes a lot of difference in giving, in setting this film uh, and giving this film a different feel than the other Star Wars movies. I mean, one of the, one of the reasons why some people have speculated that a movie like Solo didn't perform as well at the box office is because it just felt the same as you know, it was like an overdose of Star Wars with four movies in three and a half years. And I think that yes, this movie came earlier in that sequence of years, but it's also true that this movie uh had the luxury of feeling different than the other Star Wars movies because of that, you know, subgenre of being a war movie. That's you know, the scenes that we're talking about in terms of the action. Um, and, and so you know, you could argue that some of these other movies they don't have that luxury. I mean, one of the reasons why I think that the Marvel movies have been so successful, in spite of getting three a year for like the last five years, is because all the movies are exploring, you know, slightly different genres a lot of the time, and, and it keeps it fresh in that way. And I think Rogue One is able to keep it fresh in that way. And then that something like a solo coming kind of right after episode eight and episode seven, which, you know, we can discuss maybe why there were some other reasons why it was unsuccessful if when we talk about it or when we talk about episode eight. But I, I think that this movie kind of subverts that because of, because of its different feel and its different genre.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And I want to mention uh, talking about action, the, the very end after the, uh, after the battle sequences happened, of course, we have to talk about, that moment of Darth Vader just mowing down the rebel soldiers um, in, you know, again, what is, what is happening literally right before a new hope starts. And I think when we, when we watched a new hope, we talked about, or at least I talked about how intimidating it is when you first see Vader come on to Tantive 4 and, you know, you hear the Imperial March um, and how, you know, immediately he grabs you as like, Oh, this guy's scary. I think it's a hundred times more intimidating. Now when you have the context of, uh, what has gone on right before this, and you see him just killing all of these rebel soldiers. And the way that it's shot, you know, it, it's very it's shot in a very dark way, and you really just see like his red lightsaber just flashing through the air a lot. Um, it's it's a really well well done and scary sequence. Uh, I think that that matches the dark tone of the movie, so I really enjoyed that. But since we're talking about the visuals, I guess this this maybe this falls in the, falls in the cast category a little bit more. But I think we do have to mention the Peter Cushing uh, digitally <laughs> reconstructed face or whatever it is uh, as, as general Tarkin, of course that Peter well they do the same had.
2: with Leia too. It, it, they do the same technique with both sure. of them.
0: But Tarkin is much more uh, of a factor in the movie. We yep. just see Leia very briefly in the end, but uh, obviously general Tarkin or Peter Cushing had passed away. I think a few years before rogue one was released. So it was necessary to do that. Um, and it, doesn't look quite right. Um, de- definitely not as good as the de-aging stuff that we just watched in like Gemini man or anything like that, Scott.
2: Yeah, it really takes you. I think it's really cool. Like the idea and the, and the attempt to, to do what they did with this and, and bring Tarkin back in spite of Peter Cushing having passed, I think is awesome. But I agree when you see that. And, and I actually will say too, that the first couple times that I watched this in theaters, I didn't necessarily understand why people were so upset about it, but revisiting it this time, having seen a lot more movies and having seen movies try to do similar techniques, boy, I mean, like it takes you right out of the scene. Like you're like, whoa, that is not a normal face. Um, it's very clearly you know, CG visual effects. It, it looks like something that could have like, it looks like an animated character, like something like, I don't know who framed Roger Rabbit, like an animated character just got dropped into a live action scene. Obviously not that stark. It's not, it's not that dramatic. Right. But um, it it really is. It it took me out of it for uh, quite a few moments though. When he first pops on the screen, about a third of the way through the movie.
0: Jay, any reaction to the Peter Cushing uh, effects here?
1: On a scale of one to Henry Cavill's mustache. It was pretty (laughs) distracting.
0: Yeah, no, I I think, I don't know. I mean, it didn't like take me out of scenes. I wouldn't go that far, but um, it, it definitely stands out when he is on screen. Um, But they, he's not on. He's not on screen too much, which is good. I think they could have made the character a lot more of a factor, but instead you have this character of Krennic, the Ben Mendelssohn character, who sort of stands in as the the main villain in the movie. And I think, um, you know, for for good reason, we we see a lot more of the non-digital digitized Ben Mendelsohn um, than we do of the, the digitized uh, Peter Cushing, but just something I thought was worth bringing up there and talking about the visuals. But
2: um, no, I, what, I think that's fair. And, and to your point, I think I don't, I didn't get my stopwatch out for this, but he had to have been on screen for less than five minutes. So thankfully it's not. Yeah, really no, it wasn't. You, you're probably right about that, yeah.
0: but we've, we've talked about this a little bit, but uh, there are obviously some nostalgia moments in here that are meant to sort of call back to, um, the original films and and A New Hope in particular, uh, we talked about like the "Don't tell me the odds" and the there there's a a, a very uh, there's a muted uh, a cut a interrupted version of uh, I've got a bad feeling about this that happens um, as well. Uh, were there any other moments like that uh, that stood out to y'all of uh, callbacks to the um, original? Uh, franchise that you enjoyed or maybe thought were unnecessary yeah of course we also have like again darth vader showing up and tarkin and mon mothma and bale organa and leia all of these characters from the old movies making uh you know brief appearances uh jay any reaction
1: i'll tell you one that didn't stand out to me it was the lack of a title crawl like i i instantly realized I, I'm, I'm not crazy right there was no title crawl like there, there was the like in a, a long time ago in a galaxy far far away but there was no like you know Title and yellow text that like scrolls up, then explains what's going on. I okay. think there. Yeah. So I think,
0: I'm think i pretty sure there's a title crawl in solo.
2: Solo, I'm pretty sure does not have a title crawl. But okay, no. I, okay. Think oh, I was so sorry. sorry. Scott's being serious. I was. There's not a title crawl. Oh, I thought there was. Okay. No, there's no title crawl. I was just. Scott, oh, okay. I was just really so, hoping that <laughs> you were just like way too earnest about it. I couldn't. Oh it yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
1: solo okay. definitely doesn't have one, but yeah. Yeah. No. I the
2: stories movies don't have title crawls.
1: Okay, yeah, I mean, you're, you're I, right. I know that now, but that was you know, something I definitely noticed wasn't there. Um,
0: yeah, and, and on that point, something else that's not there of course is John Williams did not compose the music for this movie. It was Michael Giacchino instead, but I think he does a great job.
2: <laughs> Greatest composer of all time, Michael Giacchino, casually just <laughs> dropping in on Rogue One.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, the music was good too. Um, I made a note about the Stormtrooper doll at the beginning of the movie. I, I know it's not a callback to anything, I just thought that was kind of silly. Yeah. Um, the fact that they make I mean, I don't know. I guess if you think about it, us making dolls of GIs is kind of the same. Who's to say? And yeah, just to just to harp on this, you know, one time definitively, there were three times when I wanted to yell, never tell me the odds. <laughs> uh, I won't read all three of the precursor lines, but there were three very distinct moments where K2SO made an odds or a probability remark. Yeah, um, And that made me happy. One scene that I don't know if this was nostalgia or looking ahead, but it was definitely one that got my attention was when they were... Uh, when Jin and Cassian were in the archives and she was reading the names of other potential like other files but you know while they were looking for stardust any insight because again I can't look any of this stuff up or maybe you don't want to answer but is there any insight onto what some of that stuff might have been calling out
0: as to what now sorry
1: so when they're in the archives looking for the plans for the death star uh Jin is reading a bunch of names like of other files I'm assuming they're call-outs to other things. The only one I remember off the top of my head was Black Saber. Um,
0: Black Saber is not a name that I don't believe comes up. But I don't remember some of the other names. Maybe they were, or maybe there was just... Here's a word that sounds cool or something.
2: None of them stick out to me. I mean, Black Saber is... A, there's. I know that I don't think this is a big thing in the movies, but there's this idea that there's a black kyber crystal and you could create a black colored lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's I don't what know it sounded this, like. I was excited about the
1: possibility. I didn't know if it had ever oh, happened. Yeah, or what, but.
2: I think it's more in like the expanded universe, or I guess what, what was formerly the expanded universe, I think in the books, there might have been some more stuff. And, and I think a couple of the video games, you might have could have crafted a black lightsaber. I don't know, but I don't think it was anything significant.
0: Scott, any uh, takes on the nostalgia moments here?
2: Hey, I liked it. I, I did. I, I will say the the number of times that they kept trying to push like the Cassian and K two to Chewie and Han mm-hmm. uh, comparison was like a little bit too much. I do get what what Jay is saying here about like three different times. if I like could have could have said that, and you know, one would have been enough for me. They had to balance it right, but. You know I don't think I can complain too much. I think the, the nostalgia factor works well. And I mean the biggest nostalgia factor of all, of course, is getting to see Princess Leia at the at the very end of the of the movie to really get that direct through line straight into the opening scene of A New Hope. Uh, you know, as much as Grand Moff Tarkin's um you know face is is seems like it's taken out of nowhere and it kind of takes your breath away, maybe not in always the best way. I think that you could say the same about. Uh, Princess Leia, because uh, what it is, it is just an overlaid CG face on uh, on another actress, and that actress isn't isn't Carrie Fisher. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And then uh, using the archive voice footage as well, it's it's interesting and really cool. Just to go back and again reference that, I think it's an interesting and cool idea. Uh, it isn't executed well, but you know, the first people who true attempt these things, they don't always execute it well, and they're not always the ones that are remembered for doing it right. Uh, so I don't want to bang it up too much for that.
0: Yeah, I want to just briefly mention the, because of course one, one interesting thing is that the Jedi and the force don't play a huge role in this movie. Um, however, the force does come up. Of course, Chira, you know, frequently uh, um, repeats the phrase. I am one with the force forces with me. Um, and so I liked that callback to the force, but even more than that, uh, I love the, may the force be with you moment when, uh, you know, it, it's pretty clear that everyone who is part of this mission is pretty much a goner. But they've completed their mission. They've they've you know transmitted the schematics, and Admiral Radis says, "Rogue One, may the force be with you." I think that's just a, a wonderful moment. Um, again, in the midst of a bunch of epic scenes and, and moments, so uh, I appreciated that callback. Uh, but let's talk about something now before we finish off with our, our final questions. Uh, something we've we've talked a little bit about. And that's just is this movie necessary? Um, I think that's a question again we'll we'll discuss with solo, but um, did we really need this movie explaining the events leading up to a new hope? because obviously we know what happens in a new hope. We know that the rebel Alliance obviously got the information about the Death Star. Did we really need an entire movie um, you know telling us how they got those plans? What do you guys think about that, Jay?
1: I don't think we needed it. But that doesn't mean I'm not glad to have seen it. Um, to Put it simply, like, and I guess to call back to something Scott said at the beginning, you know, like this movie has, you know, its questions, uh, its questionable moments, and it, it's funny to me when I think about this kind of movie existing to retcon a glaring problem from A New Hope by giving us a movie that has, you know, kind of its own, you know, set of problems. Um,
2: well, if its goal is to retcon a big problem from A New Hope. It didn't retcon it. It just drew attention back to it. But sure, that, that would I mean, be my perspective at least.
1: I I, I agree. Um, <laughs> that's that's the the more problems it creates, right? Because, I mean, you know, when I when I started watching it, that was kind of how I saw it. I was like, okay, this is how they're going to explain like why the Death Star, you know, has a fatal flaw. And the fact that we've got to the end of the movie, and I don't feel any more convinced that that we should have arrived at that point, it doesn't serve the movie well. But it was still a good movie, right? I guess at least to me. So. Do we need it? No. Did I enjoy it? Sure. Uh, yeah, I think that,
2: Jay, I would just echo what Jay said here. I think that this movie is probably, probably unnecessary. It's well done, and I definitely enjoyed it overall. I mean, we'll talk about, you know, at the end here, we'll give it a score and we'll put it in our grand scheme of rankings, maybe either at the end of this episode or the end of next week's episode uh, when we talk about Solo, so we cover the Star Wars stories movies here. But for me, it's one of those things where, I talk about these performances, I talk about the visuals, I talk about the action and kind of the production design of the movie and those are all fantastic. I just like don't think the story is that good, right? Like I like I like the characters. You know, I like, you know, the atmosphere and the tone of the film. But the story is unnecessary. Like I I do feel pretty strongly about that. Like I don't think the story is needed. I think that the plot hole that it, maybe it's either trying to retcon or exp- or or give an explanation to in some way, it isn't able to do that effectively. I don't think that the fact that the Death Star has this random weakness deep inside, you know, at its core, where you can bomb it and destroy the whole thing if you if you just time it right. I don't think that t- that this estranged like or like I don't know hostage almost um, Galen Urso is like that makes much sense. Like he creates this fatal flaw. That only his daughter, who maybe is alive or maybe will receive this message, is able to, like, know even exist to go get the plans to then transmit to someone else. Like, it's so ludicrous. It's the will of the force. It's Yeah, I know. I I mean, I guess that's that's one way to describe it. It's the will of the force. But I just, I don't think that that story explains it or makes it, it makes it make sense at all.
0: But, but the you could say the same thing to just to play devil's advocate about a new hope and Princess Leia transmitting the message through R2. Like, what are the odds that this message and that this droid would end up in the you know care of the exact person who it needed to end up in? Uh, that being Luke Skywalker. I mean, I guess, I guess technically the message was for Obi-Wan, but right, but it got there eventually and it needed to end up in Luke's hands for the story to get to where it
2: was, but but sure but like the the difference is this movie was constructed to to tell a story and like to give additional context to a story and rather than i mean like sure it gave that context but the context is more confusing than the actual original story in my opinion look Mm. like i i mean maybe we just disagree on this point but like i just don't think the story makes makes much sense i think that we we have these very compelling characters like i understand galen's motivations like madden Micklin's characters motivations i just like for this like brilliant scientist he hasn't created a very smart plan like i, I don't know like he, he, even in this video that he's talking to jen about i mean you're talking about he's like talking about like i'm so clever so i have to plant the secret somewhere where like right in front of the noses where they will not think that they'll find it and i'm like I, I mean yeah you i guess they didn't find it but at the same time like you're i mean it's just dumb luck right i mean maybe that's I mean, it, and I'm, I'm I, look, I, I still i'm gonna give this movie a good score because i don't think that these flaws are that good. But if we're talking about whether or not it was necessary like if the, if the goal of the movie, you know, beyond just, you know, make money <laughs> and give some good performances is to like provide context. I just don't think it does that successfully. And uh, it's just, uh, it's just the reality of it for me.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think we're pretty much on the same page. I don't ne- know that this n- story necessarily needed to be told, but I think that the movie that tells it is necessary, if that makes sense, because uh, it is adding something different to the Star Wars universe. Like we've already talked about with. Yeah you know having a darker tone with being more of a war movie I think that some of the like again there are like epic moments in every Star Wars movie but I think they're elevated uh some of them in, in Rogue One because of because of the tone of the movie because um uh you know we understand what the stakes are um from the beginning I think that the movie does a really good job of that and so while uh, yes while I agree that the the story may not necessarily need to be told, um, the movie that ultimately tells the story does end up feeling essential because I think uh, they did such a great job with it from a directing, um, acting, and especially from a writing standpoint. um, I think this movie really stands out.
2: All right, guys. With I that, think that uh, just on that point, I think ahead, the, the writing starts off really strong. I don't know if the writing's great by the end of the movie for me. Uh, I think that one of the things that I did notice, like I think I even put in my letterbox review, is that the opening scene and is the, the atmosphere is incredible. It's like some of the best, you know like snapshots of atmosphere in this, in any Star Wars movie that we've watched any of the 6 or now 7 Star Wars movies that we've we've revisited so far and the writing was right there on point that first conversation between Ben Mendelsohn who's not even a character we really talked about that much but I think is a great performance from Ben Mendelsohn who I think is often underrated in the, in his performances that he gives in these films um and Matt Mitchellson I think that that dialogue and and that back and forth is so on point I didn't feel that sharpness by the end of the movie uh for me I think it I think it had dropped off a little bit there was a couple uh, maybe it was the particular characters themselves too, because I think I did think that mads Mikkelsen and and Ad, and Krennic were two of the stronger, you know better developed characters. and um yes, we we could have definitely explored both of those characters a little bit more, but I thought that they were both performed and and um written quite well maybe compared to some of those other supporting characters that you get in in the ragtag bunch of uh rebels that 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 we see at the end of the movie. But um I think the script is good to start, but fades a little bit towards the end.
0: Uh, okay, with that, I think we can move ah uh, into the wrap up phase, um, and let's start by talking about our MVPs. Jay, who is your uh, your most valuable player here? Maybe maybe one of the toughest MVPs to choose in the from this movie because there's so many characters.
1: It's K two. Again, I had a a little bit of a tougher time with two of the leads, and I love you know the supporting cast a lot, um, you know, and I'll I'll talk about that when we you know come back uh, to favorite moments in a second, but. You know, I mean, K2 is just constantly there. And I know, you know, he's kind of meant to be, you know, replicating some of the stuff we have from the movies that were released before this. But I laughed out loud so many times, you know, when he spoke like, Jin, I'll be there for you. Cashin told me I had to be. <laughs> I just I don't know. I uh, I had a really fun time with him. He's my MVP. Scott. Yeah, you know
2: it's a tight race. K two is is one of my contenders for sure. Uh, I think I might I, in some world in some on some evenings I might choose him. Uh, I think on this one I'm going to go a different direction. I'm going to go for Donnie Yen's cheer. I think that he is uh, in in a cast of characters who are all very different from some of the people that we've seen in other Star Wars movies so far. I think that he stands out as some middle ground between these people who are your ragtag group of rebels. And then you're, you know, you're forced using, you know, Jedi. He is someone different. He is uh, in some senses a Jedi and in some senses very much not a Jedi. Uh, and I think that his character is so interesting. And I think that some of the moments that his character is a part of are some of the highlights in the movie for me. And I just think that Donnie Yen, I, I can't understand why he doesn't do more movies because he was amazing in this role. I don't I don't know how Gareth Edwards or Kathleen Kennedy or anyone at Lucasfilm found this guy or, or why he you know, came up for this role, but he was perfect for it. And I thought he crushed it.
0: And I'm going to go with Jenner. So uh, maybe, maybe a bit cliche to pick the, the quote unquote hero heroine of the movie. Uh, But for the reasons I think I've already talked about, I like the way that this movie falls in line and fits the, that this character fits the model uh, of the Star Wars hero, someone who's called by destiny to, um, perform a great service to the galaxy and that's exactly what Jen does here and she goes down with the ship in the end and I think Felicity Jones uh, adds a lot with her performance Um, so yeah I'm a big fan of this character it's just a shame that we only got one movie of her but like it like I said I think that the sequels I've done a good job with a, a similar uh, strong female character in Ray. So uh, we will we will get to that character in a couple of uh, episodes from now. But uh, before we do that, uh, Jay, your favorite scene or moment from Rogue One?
1: My favorite scene or moment. Um, I'm going to cheat a little bit. Sorry, but I'm going to give an honorable mention first and then a sure. favorite scene. Sorry, Scott, don't shake your head at me. I, I have to. Um, uh, you actually do mention, not
2: have to. You you could just say your your favorite. Moment. I
1: I feel compelled. Um, honorable mention to uh, Vader's scene where he shows up in the dark. The lightsaber comes on, and he just completely tears through the rebels. Um, you guys mentioned that one earlier. I won't dwell too long on it, but I I would just want to say for all the things I said in A New Hope about how I didn't get that epic lightsaber battle, and we didn't really get much of, you know, action in that sense, especially involving Vader like this. You know, more than made up for me. Like I, you know, I exclaimed when that lightsaber came on. Um, it was awesome. So sorry. Now to my favorite scene um, is uh, when Baze runs out to, to you know Chiru after he mm-hmm. you know has uh, activated the switch, and you know it basically just you know runs into like stormtrooper fire, um, you know, to be with his dying friend, and then you know starts repeating the Force mantra, you know, before his demise which you know i was so sad I, I, again you know you kind of had to know everyone was going to die but it was so sad when he died after that
0: and, and to talk about han and chewy moments it's actually kind of reminiscent of Chewie trying to run up to the carbonite chamber when han is fr- about to be frozen uh on bespin so uh that's a similar moment there but yeah that's a great scene scott how about you
2: yeah i mean i think there's a whole host of, of them scott one of the ones that i really liked from a cinematography perspective is one of the ones that you talked about way back, I think towards the beginning of the episode with the final shot of Jen and Cassian as uh, the death star sh- like firing um, that the wave of, I don't know whether yeah. it's the water or whatever it is kind of overtakes them. I think that that's a, a great shot and great moment in and of itself. Uh, you know, you could pick any host of of the one liners that K2 has as well uh, in, in terms of that. But I, I guess for the you know the the moment and the and the atmosphere of it, which I think is again one of one of the best parts of it. I think that you know that scene at the end at the end of the film. Uh, I think it really just captures what the movie is about. This movie is about ultimately when you boil things down to it. This movie is if you if you abstract from the ultimate mission of this movie is getting you to the start of a, of a new hope. You, if you take that out of the picture, what this movie is about is someone finding uh, you know finding a home. Right, finding somewhere where she belongs, where she fits in, and she's been an outcast and and cast aside in, in her entire life, and so finding that at the end and and dying in, in kind of the arms of someone who is like family to her now, uh, af- after they successfully completed their mission uh, that, that that they set out to do, I think that that really captures the full spirit of the movie, um, and that's you know that's what rebellions are built on. So there you go.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a great moment. I think that's that's even the line that Cassian has at one point. He says like, "Welcome home to Jen" or something. But um, yeah, no, I'm going to go with the very ending. I think you know, with the exception of Phantom Menace and the weird orb thing or whatever at the end of the movie, these movies have these movies have really ended with a bang. I think um, whether it's you know the sun coming up at the end of Revenge of the Sith or the you know medal ceremony or whatever at the end of A New Hope, um, I think that. These movies have in, always end on a really strong note, and I think this is this is no uh, exception to that rule. With, of course, Leia making her appearance and um, the uh, pilot asking or whatever, um, you know, what if what is what if the, what is this transmission sent us? What have the rebels sent us? And Leia just saying hope, um, and that's the note that the movie ends on. And I think it's a perfect note to end on, not just because the next movie is called A New Hope, but um, because. Like, like you said, Scott, I think that fits along with the theme of the movie. What is it that these people did ultimately? You know, maybe, maybe they perished, maybe we only got one movie, maybe they didn't have a lot of time to be the heroes that they could have been, but what they did is they provided hope for the galaxy and hope for the characters that uh, we got going forward in the original trilogy and sequels, so I think that's the ultimate takeaway from the movie, and the last moment does uh, a great job summing that up. All right, Scores out of 10, and since we, we you know talked about it a second ago, why don't you go ahead and, and t- tell us where this movie fits into your current rankings? Uh, Jay.
1: I'm really boxing myself into a, a tight space with these uh, this weird <laughs> logarithmic sliding scale, whatever you want to call it. Um, but simply put, Rogue One gets an 8.7 from me, which puts it smack dab in the middle of the original trilogy, which is all above it. And the prequel trilogy, which is all below it.
2: Jay, we also have to introduce you to this concept that your score for a movie doesn't have to be the order in which you enjoy them either. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, because this is this is the funny thing about me because I sit back here and I think about my score and I'm giving it a seven point seven, which is it's a good movie. Um, one of the de- definitely surpassing the prequel trilogy, agreeing with Jay there for sure. And then thinking about okay, where does where does this sit in terms of movies that I want to revisit? in the franchise. Like if I'm thinking about, not only did I enjoy enjoy the movie, but like if I'm thinking about the movies that I, you know, enjoyed the most, which doesn't necessarily always get to my score, where does this fit? And I'm having a really hard time with it. It's definitely not, uh, it's definitely not eclipsing Empire Strikes Back, which for me is you know, the, the clear number one here. But I think it, I still might have enjoyed this movie more than the other parts of the original trilogy. So it's something I'm really struggling with. Um, and so I, I'm actually putting it behind Return of the Jedi, but ahead of the original Star Wars movie.
0: And I'm probably not surprised now. I'm coming out the highest at 9.4. I think this is a really excellent movie uh, and w- one of my favorites, like I said, in the Star Wars uh, franchise. As far as it wears, it fits into the list. I'll cheat a little bit and say that this is kind of tied for second oh with a new Hope. Really with a guys. new hope because I think <laughs> of them as, the same story, right? Um, it's One feeds right into the other. I mean, I guess you could say that about some of the other movies to some extent, but uh, I think it is easier, more than any other two movies in the franchise, it is easier to think about those two movies as one movie, sort of. Um, and so I i put would put them together as tied for second. I think that the movies fit together well, is my point, and that is why I'm having them at a tie at number two at the moment. I don't know that I could pick between Uh, which one of these I enjoy more, because I think they both do what they set out to do incredibly well. So 9.4, really enjoy Rogue One. Um, And with that, I think that brings us to the end of our seventh episode here of the Star Wars Countdown. Uh, We hope you have enjoyed this episode. Uh, And if you have, please check out all of our other uh, episodes of the Star Wars Countdown and other podcasts in all in the Some Like It Scott feed on whatever podcast service he used, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, so on and so forth. Uh, we're, we're there. We're doing all of uh, all of our podcasts um, and we will have the, the next three episodes, the final three episodes leading up to rise of Skywalker of the star Wars countdown series coming out in the next three weeks. So um, looking forward to that. We hope you are as well. Uh, if you want to support us, don't forget about our Patreon, patreon.com slash media plug pods. Um, and don't forget as well to uh, rate review, subscribe, do all of the things on your podcast app. Ah, uh, so that we can continue to grow our listeners, uh, and please come back for the next episode of the some of the uh, Star Wars countdown, uh, in which we will be talking about and reviewing the other anthology movie, Solo: A Star Wars Story. Uh, but until then, for Scott Shelton and Jay Habib, I'm Scott Harvey. Thanks for listening.